hit the theme song. Please cut that out. No, no, I'm gonna leave it in, just, just for the memes. Just for the memes. One meme at a time, right? Alright, welcome back to episode 3 of This Is Rocket Science. Although it might be episode 2, depending on how long it takes me to edit the last one, and technically it is episode 5, because the first two, or maybe even three episode ones failed. I forget how many. I think it was... Um, episode six! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we're going to start with simulation theory. You gotta introduce yourself real um, fast. Every single time we gotta introduce ourselves. Every right. time? Yeah. Dude, but we already... I guess, whatever. My name is Henry. Uh, I'm David. And this is Rocket Science. I already said that. You already said that? Yeah, it's the first thing I said. No, no it wasn't. You did not say that. I did. Let's move on to the uh, the first topic of today. All right, today's episode, we're going to attempt to blow your mind at least 7 billion times. That's a little bit ambitious. Um, uh, I see yeah. only like four bullet points that we have on the script, so... Well, you know, the first thing we're talking about is uh, simulation theory. Some of you may have heard of it before. Some mm -hmm. of you may have thought you've heard of it before. Ooh, can we talk about the Mandela effect? Sure. I love the Mandela, the Mandela effect. effect. Oh, I love wild it so thing. But we'll <laughs> add that to later in the episode. Anyway, simulation theory, for those who don't know, it's the idea that one day humanity's technology will get to such a level that we can create a virtual reality that is so much better than our actual reality that humanity will essentially become trapped inside of it. Some examples come to mind like The Matrix, although that wasn't mm -hmm. technically because it was a more pleasurable experience, that was by force. More computers or, doing that to us. Or yeah. like Sword Art Online. Although technically that one was because you die if you left. St stuff like that is just the alternate reality that people become trapped in. Mm -hmm. Usually it's considered to be voluntary, other times it can be done by force. In general, it's just that there's something else. And the reason why this is relevant, and also relevant to space, is... One, like, deep future of humanity. This could be what we could expect, you know, like, hundreds of years from now. But also, the universe is 13.7 billion years old. So we could expect some alien civilizations to have already uh, created these simulations, um, to have already reached this technological threshold. So it's relevant to think about it because, you know, you could go back to the first episode and look at, you know, when we talked about the Fermi Paradox, one of the potential solutions to the Fermi Paradox, one of the explanations to the question, where are all the aliens, is, well, they built a simulation, and now why explore when you can just go inward into the simulation? Speaking of alien simulations within, uh, within simulations, I was hearing about a science fiction novel once from my father, on some, some car trip probably to some mine, but he's telling me about there is a civilization that was, became a galactic civilization, but they found a way to convert their bodies to completely digital forms, and they became some like dormant overseer of the entire galaxy that no one knew about. Well, beyond that, the whole plot of the story is that they come out at some point when a civilization reaches a certain point, and they either hmm. subdue the civilization or they come in and they let them in on their digital empire. They like welcome them. Or... We have a question from the live studio audience. 
usually I'd, I'd say something snarky here, but I actually have some serious philosophical inquiries into this notion of simulation theory. So I just wanted to ask, like, do you all think this is a possibility for the, within the realm of human life that humans will eventually build simulations and trap themselves inside? Like Micah, within our lifetime? Micah. Not necessarily, just after. It is entirely possible that our entire reality is a, is a simulation. Right now. Because if there is a simulation that would come after us, why wouldn't they be a simulation that comes before us? So, um, I prefer not to deal with that question mentally, partially <laughs> because it is deeply disturbing to the very fabric of my psyche, but also because dealing with hypotheticals like that, you could go down a, a rabbit hole that really mm -hmm. just destroys all all rationalism within the conversation. So I'm gonna we're gonna put that on a fat back burner right now. And I just well, no, we aren't. Let's <laughs> yeah, yeah, this we is the are. Mind blowers episode. So okay. let's, let's debate it. So we'll just. I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is the possibility. Given, you are not the host. Shut the f up. <laughs> given the possibility. Oh my god. That is. Given that humanity in its current form is not a simulation, is a corporeal Dewey. entity. Um, All right, we, we'll grant it. We'll grant, we'll grant it. it. Sure. Grant it yes, to me. Yes. Just give me, give me a little, give me an inch, okay? Uh, so we'll given that, <laughs> given that we're a corporeal entity, um, I think that it is fair to say, under basic philosophical precepts that, and basic with the basic knowledge of human nature, that we will never build a simulation. I've got a couple of uh, philosophical backings for this. First of which is based in a French accelerationist philosopher named <laughs> Paul Virilio. Why have you done so much more who... research than we have? <laughs> this is weird. You so, said you did no research. Well, I just like reading a lot of like French postmodernism. I'm sorry, man. The point is that he talks a lot about technological acceleration and basically predicts that one day our technology will accelerate to such a point that there will be a massive catastrophe that takes out basically the entire grid system and the whole of all technological development, kind of like a new dark age. And his basis for this is basically the argument that as we continue with innovations, there are also de-innovations that accompany in the process, right? So with the invention of the ship came the simultaneous invention of the shipwreck. And basically, as we continue to accelerate in our innovations, we will also continue to accelerate in our catastrophes that accompany them. So I simply do not think that technology, that technology can progress to a stage where we have where we master the complexity necessary to put ourselves in some sort of digified universe. I think secondly, humans have an insane technophobia. You can see this with just pop culture regressions to earlier stages of technology, people's obsession with like analog equipment, people's obsession with like vital records and things like that. I don't think people would be willing to put themselves in some sort of digified universe. Uh, so I think that with those two things coupled together means that there's both a, a cultural and technological uh, means by which we hedge back against our transition into some sort of simula uh, simulation of lifestyle. Oh my god. I'm just looking at the recording. That was very long. One would hope so. So so I think there's a few important distinctions to be made. So uh, right now we have uh, VR that's pretty good. And based on the progression that video games have had, we can expect to be able to create something like where you put on a headset and enter a simulation that looks photorealistic in three dimensions. We can expect to do that in like 20 years. So I think we're going to hit that point. But uh, I don't. I agree with you in the sense that humans uploading their consciousness. Like, what does that even mean, right? Well, it's also assuming that society remains at the same level it is. It's entirely possible because as generations go by each generation becomes more accustomed to a certain level of technology. True. Like a lot of, a lot of adults nowadays are kind of, they don't really like the idea of, of having cookies on your browser. 
And I've spoken to individuals who love the idea that people, that advertisers can get you exactly what you want to faster. <laughs> it's a huge generational gap, but when I was the next generation, what if they have an entirely different take that gets them more susceptible to going into virtual reality well, permanently? I think with the question of virtual reality, particularly in the context of video games, I think it is beneficial to us and we enjoy it per precisely because we have a natural physical world to contrast it against, right? Virtual, mm -hmm. ra virtual reality is only cool insofar as we know that we can return to a, a more realistic state of affairs, right? It would be kind of terrifying if, if we were If you blur the distinctions between the two, I think it would cease to have the same transformative potential that it does now. One of the, the concepts, too, that leads to the idea of simulation theory is that the simulation actually is a step above reality, that it's either more pleasurable or easier to come by getting things. It, it's just better. So I think the notion of pleasure is usually invoked in these debates, and I just want to say that that is probably one of the most fallacious things you can bring up now. I want to ask Henry a question, sure, sure. Uh, a hypothetical, a philosophical hypothetical. So... You have the choice for the rest of your life of being hooked up to a machine. Every time you pull the lever, it injects you with a shot of dopamine. Putting aside neuroscience, let's just say that you could keep on pulling this lever and keep on just injecting yourself with infinite pleasure and happiness, right? But that's all you can do for the rest of your life is pull that lever. Do you do it? No. Exactly, because humans value their personal autonomy and free will over all else. Before, the episode, before we started the show, you started talking about... Uh... What Elon Musk said about simulation theory and mm -hmm. foreign civilizations. So Elon Musk uh, just made the argument that, so uh, Elon Musk is amazing. So he basically talked about how, um, I don't know exactly when, but like 30 years ago we had Pong. And now we have games like Call of Duty, Battlefield. We have VR that's very close to being photorealistic. We can expect within the next 20, 30 years we create something akin to a simulation where you can put on a headset and see 3D, photorealistic, indistinguishable from reality. And his argument was um, that if humans choose, or if, if any humans, aliens, whatever, if they chose the simulation over their base reality, they could make you know, millions of these different realities. Everyone has their own reality, for example. And it gets to the point where the ratio of simulations to base realities is so high that we're almost certainly not in base reality. It doesn't matter if if we think the nature of humans is to want autonomy. We're talking about aliens at this point. Aliens that are nothing like humans. If they decided to populate simulations rather than base reality, and they created billions of simulations, well then chances are we're in a simulation right now. Um, it's entirely possible. One thing I'm talking about real fast is uh, Back in like freshman year of high school, me, me and my friend Andrew. Andrew, listen to this. I love you, bro. We were, we were planning about writing a book regarding s simulation theory. And there's going to be a three-part book. And the first part, the set of characters would be in a simulation that was one level above our reality. So they were, we'll, we'll theorize that they were humans in our reality that entered a simulation. And that's where they begin. They have no idea that they're in the simulation. And for them, that's just their reality. And at some point, there would be a catalyst that would bring them out of the reality, and they come to the actual reality where we as humans live today. And of course, they have to deal with the idea of you know coming out. There's a whole new set of, of rules and reality. It's completely different. They have no idea. Their whole reality has been shattered as well. And then we'll take it a level further, and they'll say that they can come out of our reality into 
another simulation that is a level below us. And I, I say above and below because one of the ideas of simulation theory is that each simulation has an advantage to reality. There's something that's better that makes living there superior. For example, we said that there's a lot of things in the highest stage that are absent that detract from our human life today. One of the ones we say is like, the idea of love is vanished. It's kind of a weird idea, kind of more of a, uh, it's a weird dystopian idea, but if the idea of love is gone, then you can focus on your everyday task, everything you need to do, and not be distracted by some abstract concept that we think is, we could think is disadvantageous. And that being said, the reality below us would have some addition that actually makes reality worse, whatever it might be. And it's, got, it's kind of brings us into the idea of like other civilizations and other alien species, what kind of emotions they might have, what kind of mm -hmm. functions their bodies might have that could make their living worse or better. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult to really think about that because we, the only thing that we know about aliens is that we have, we don't know anything about aliens. And <laughs> we, I don't know nothing. yeah, all we know. You don't like Elon Musk. We don't know how many senses they have. We don't know um, for what their bodies are made of. Like, we don't know what they look like. We know nothing. Um, so it's difficult to imagine what their simulation, we don't know what values they have. No. Um, so we have no idea what the possibilities there lie. The thing that always uh, freaks me about, freaks me out about simulation theory is just thinking about, like, if we were in a simulation right now, uh, atoms, could not be real. Like in, in the higher, out of the simulation, atoms could just be made up. They could be a, a part of the simulation. Or, you know, any of the laws of physics that we come to know. Completely true. Yeah. And we would have no idea like what kind of laws of physics could exist, either above or below our level of simulation that would even make sense. Mm -hmm. We can't even comprehend that. And you can think of that, like if we wanna, if we think this, that this argument is dumb, well, the same thing could apply in another universe, which, like the multiverse theory, although hasn't and can never be experimentally proven, is something that real, respectable physicists think about, like Michio Kaku, like a real, actual physicist thinks about multiverse theory. And in a different universe, there could be different laws of physics, there could be all these things that we yeah, don't understand. I'm a big Michio Kaku fan, yeah. but he also doesn't believe in simulation theory. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also anti-determinist, which I enjoy. I have no idea what that is. So. You no, know, like the people who don't believe that free will exists. Mm. Yeah. Simulation theory is a thing that, I guess it comes down to belief as whether or not human, humanity would ever do it, or has ever done it. But it's also a bit more, a bit more tangible compared to other things that are beliefs, like, like religion, because there isn't really a basis for it besides the idea of technology. Mm. Like, I guess the basis would be do we ever possess that technology? Instead of like, is there a deity? Are there several deities? Was something a creationary force? It's a bit more tangible, but still, I guess it would come down to the idea of belief. Mm -hmm. And we can never know for sure. You know, if we were in a simulation right now, well, it's a damn good simulation, and we're probably never going to figure it out. So, could you imagine if, like, one day, like, the hydrogen collider, the researchers come out and go, yeah, you know what? Turns out we, we, we found out that uh, when you break down quarks, it's just little pixels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're back to recording. Um, Are we recording again? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we had a brief lapse in our recording. You didn't miss anything. We're not going to tell you what you missed. Super boring. Um, we just sort of said a bunch of stuff. As we tend to do. Yeah. Anyways, now we're going to talk about black holes. Let's do it. Uh, All right, so I think the majority of us are going to know what a black hole is. Just for you know the sake of making sure everyone's on the same page, we are going to define what a black hole is. Sure, why not? So... Let's go all the way back. Let's talk about how they form. We might as well. So um, basically, so say you have a, a massive star, much bigger than our sun. Um, our sun does this too, but towards the end of its life, it's gonna start expanding. Um, it's gonna become what's called a red giant. Basically, its outer layers are growing bigger and bigger, and it reaches a certain point where the nuclear fusion, which has been powering it this whole time, can no longer, um, maintain a uh, rate enough to counteract this crushing force so of gravity. Just a second there to define nuclear fusion. That's where the, the body of the sun is characterized mostly of hydrogen. And at the center of the sun, the pressure of gravity of all the mass of hydrogen is actually so dense that it fuses two hydrogen atoms together, making a helium atom. Mm-hmm. It's something pretty crazy that we can just fuse atoms. Usually we think of just splitting them. Mm-hmm. But of course that puts off a bunch of energy, and that's what fuels the, the heat of the sun, and as far away as we are, it's still pretty hot, mm-hmm. especially out in Arizona. But, so the, the minute that um, that force of fusion is not strong enough, um, the massive star, you know, this thing could be the size of um, the orbit of Jupiter. Like, it could be that far in radius. All at once, literally like within a day, this thing is going to collapse. Um, and when it collapses, all of this this mass, you know, it could be tens, hundreds of solar masses, is going to collapse to the core, and it's going to bounce off the core, because the core is going to be growing denser and denser. And if the core is dense enough, and if the core is massive enough, it could uh, compress enough matter to the point where um, the escape velocity, the escape velocity is just um, a term that we use to say, how fast does an object need to travel to escape uh, a gravitational field? So Earth has an escape velocity. The Sun has an escape velocity. The Moon has one. But if you every have, single every single atom has yeah an escape velocity. Everything has an escape velocity. If you compress something to the point where the escape velocity at any point around it was greater than the speed of light, you have a black hole. And um, we know. Our current understanding of physics says you cannot travel faster than the speed of light. So that means that at a certain point, you're entering this object and you're gone. You're going towards the center. Um, I'm going to get water. So this is what we consider to be we call the event horizon, right? Mm-hmm. It's where once you get to a certain radius from this black hole, you've entered a point in return. You're, you are within the area that you have to be traveling faster than the speed of light in order mm-hmm. to get out of there. And there's a bunch of crazy physics here. Uh, a few things, um, many things are left unresolved. So, for example, um, there is no force that we know of that is strong enough to hold up all of that matter in a black hole. So, basically, um, the way we currently understand physics, all of the matter in a black hole, all of the, the solar masses, would all collapse to one point. And we call that point the singularity. And... Like, like geometrically, this is a point. It has no dimensions. So that would mean that you have finite mass 
with no volume, that means you have a point of infinite density. But that doesn't really have physical significance. We, that doesn't really make sense to us. So that, number one, that breaks the laws of physics. Um, number two, um, we'll talk about this in a later episode, but there's something called the, the theory of general relativity. Um, it's Einstein's work. There's also his theory of special relativity. General relativity says that anything with mass bends space-time. Um, and when you, when you move around in curved space-time, um, a bunch of wacky things happen. There's time dilation, so time starts moving differently. That's one effect. So as you approached a black hole, time would start to be a very weird thing. So as, as you specifically, if you hit the singularity, as space-time's more and more curved to the point where it's infinitely curved, time would be going faster and faster. If you could look out to see the rest of the universe, which of course you can't, if you could, as you approach the singularity, the entire future of the universe would instantly flash by as you hit the singularity. Because the rate at which time is going for you, compared to the outside world, outside of the black hole, is going to infinity. Right. So that would be crazy. That breaks the laws of physics. Also, where does the matter go? Where does the information go? Wouldn't that suggest that there is literally no end to time then? Because if it's traveling infinitely fast, there must be infinite distance for it to travel, huh? You'd think. Or that's if time is even distance. Who knows? Yeah, we have, we have no idea. Einstein, maybe. Maybe Einstein, if he was still alive, could figure it out. Um, now, there's been... Uh, attempts to sort of resolve some of these issues. Uh, for example, um, Stephen Hawking, one of his big things was what's called Hawking radiation. Um, the details uh, are very complicated. Essentially, it's the idea that um, if you had a pair of imaginary particles that come into and out of existence towards the uh, event horizon, you could have one of them which would be inside, the other which would be outside, energy would then be lost and the information would be conserved. Super complicated. I certainly don't understand it. Basically, physicists think it resolves the idea of information loss as you approach a black hole. Now, there's still the, the sort of um, underlying issue of, well, where does the matter go? I mean, matter has to be conserved, right? So it either is somehow brought into the black hole, even though, like we previously discussed, the singularity has no volume. It's like, how does that work? It's all crazy. Without a doubt. Now, one thing is, and my good man Henry has an expertise, is the idea of a gravity wave. Henry, I'm going to give you this one. You're giving me all of them. You should, I feel like you know what gravity waves gravity are. Gravity waves, I know a bit about gravity waves. It's, it's a weird concept that was theorized when two black holes collide into each other that there is a theoretical thing called a gravity wave that come off where the, the two gravities of, well, as they're colliding, they end up orbiting around each other really fast, probably approaching the speed of light, without a doubt, mm -hmm. until they merge into one. But in that process of the two spinning around each other, they most definitely have an effect on the rest of the universe. Uh, that's the idea of the gravity wave. I, I figured out how to describe it exactly. Like, there's some areas that's slightly denser, Sort of. So, so like I was, I was talking about general relativity. Anything that has mass bends space-time. So the sun, the Earth, they bend space-time to an extent, and 
that's not really an issue when you have a, a, an object that is, compared to other objects, moving slowly. So, um, like the Earth orbiting around the Sun, on the grand scheme of things, compared to the speed of light, it's not moving that fast. So, its gravity wave that it's creating is propagating through the universe and it's lagging behind the object, lagging behind the Earth in that case, but not by that much. So it doesn't really create a, a meaningful fluctuation that travels because it more just creates like a stationary, um, I guess, depression in the fabric of space-time. But if you had two massive objects like neutron stars or like black holes and they're spinning, like you're saying, approaching the speed of light, you could expect the, um, the ripples in space-time that they're creating to be significantly lagging behind the objects themselves, in which case they're going to start going outward, propagating as a wave, like any other wave. Now, uh, we were talking about earlier before the podcast. Yeah, how, how could you, well, beyond just the theory, how could you possibly detect them? Yeah. Research actually has been done in this field. I, it was in, in California, wasn't it? Uh so, I feel like I'm probably remembering that wrong. Yeah, so there was two facilities. Um, so there's LIGO, which is a Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, and it has two stations, one in Washington State and one in Louisiana. Um, but but like a lot of the research was done by like Caltech. Um, the guy who won the Nobel Prize for it, Kip Thorne, Caltech. So sort of Caltech. Yeah, the, the idea of how you could detect them is if you take a laser which is an emission of light, a wave, and you diffract it at 90 degree angle, I think 90 is the right angle for mm -hmm. it, and you, add it, and you extend both diffracted parts of the laser down to mirrors, and have it bounce right back and combine again, that, of course, as it stands, because the light travels at the same speed, when it combines, it contains the same wavelength, and the light's the same color. Mm -hmm. Constructive interference, yeah. Yes, but if the idea of a gravity wave is correct, uh, in, in the experiment, the distance from the point of diffraction to the mirrors is three kilometers, you said. Mm -hmm. at, that, at that point, a tiny little interference. Nanometers. Yeah. Literally nanometers would change the color of the light. Mm -hmm. And you could detect by how much something was compressed or expanded over a three kilometer distance. And they would have to go to ridiculous lengths to explain this. So, like, a gravity wave could be completely overshadowed by a car driving on a road a mile away. Yeah. So, in order to, like, isolate these issues, one, like I was saying, they have two facilities. So, they would need to have a consistent um, detection on both of them. Also, I don't know if it's the world's only, but the thing that holds the mirror is, like, a quintuple beam balance. So, like, it's, it's ridiculous. So, and they've, they've measured these lengths. Um, we know exactly what the speed of light is. We actually defined the meter and the second so that we know exactly what the speed of light is. Um, and we know this distance that connects these, these mirrors and the lasers and their source so well that any nanometer difference in the total distance over those two legs we can determine to be a gravitational wave. And a lot of this work has to be done, like a lot of the, the hard work is done in the data science aspect of it, because there's so much noise, it's difficult to isolate the wave itself. But I think there's 
there was the first one that was in like 2015 maybe um and there's been a few since they were very recent yeah there was a few that were way more recent um but now they're detecting gravitational waves so it's basically a new type of telescope so it's a big deal now what does this mean for humanity uh, um, well, uh, all right, well, that's been our episode. <laughs> it's really cool. There is no, it's definitely groundbreaking for our study of physics mm-hmm. for day to day life. Probably never going to be anything. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to invent anything out of this. Um, it is just another layer of proof that general relativity is a thing. I wonder if you could use several of them, like, across... Like, if we, if we put a station on Earth, and put a station on the Moon, or on the, on Mars, could you triangulate the position of the gravity wave? Well, they actually already can, just from on Earth. Just from two. J- they added a third. They added a third. There's Great. one in Italy. Great. Yeah, so now they can triangulate them. Um, I was thinking about, like, seismology, a thing that mm. we study... In the field of geology is the coolest thing. Uh, that would be cool. Yeah, of course, how you would locate it, you know, the source of a uh, of an earthquake. Could you do, if you could do the same thing with finding out where black holes and neutron stars are? Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't have to find out how far it is. Yeah, well, does the distance of the of the collision affect the size of gravity waves? Have we even determined seen enough data to be able to determine that? I don't know. I I have a feeling that they decrease in amplitude. Over, but it wouldn't surprise me if it decreased in amplitude. Yeah, just because like inverse square law, like it's traveling so far. But at the same time, like I guess it's uniform. I don't really know. I should probably know more about this. But also, it's to um, be fair. I think that most people, I think all people, I guess think I can state with a certainty that the entirety of humanity doesn't know that much about this. Yeah. Um, but but also like it's usually fairly obvious where the source was because. Uh, we get the gravity wave, and gravity travels at the same time, at the same speed as light. So we get this gravity wave, and then astronomers search the sky, and you can bet, like, you can see invisible light with telescopes that we have, these collisions. Because these black holes, these neutron stars, when they're colliding, they're usually releasing a lot of energy. Gamma rays, visual uh, light, and we can see it. So. That's cheating. We can, yeah, it's kind of cheating. So we don't even need to triangulate it. We could just detect a gravitational wave and then look up in the night sky and say, oh, yep, there it is. So. It is cheating, though. Uh, telescopes. We should ban them. Maybe not that. Yeah, I feel like that's a little bit controversial for the space podcast. Yeah, well, speaking of the space podcast, this has been episode three or two. Or five. Technically five. Maybe even six. Maybe even, yeah. I don't really remember. Also, we we have no live studio audience anymore. Oh, yeah. One of them fell asleep and took a nap. And the other one we kicked out because he didn't like Elon Musk. <laughs> and other reasons. You heard him. All right. So we're, we're 36 minutes in at this point. Uh, coming towards the end of the podcast. Thank Honestly, you for listening. I think going to be cut. But of course, yeah. thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, if you have any questions, I don't know yeah. how you could contact us. Yeah, whatever. No one's gonna listen to this anyways. <laughs> yeah, if you made it this far, if you've watched all of our episodes, wow, I'm amazed. <laughs> please, please, like, I don't know, send us an email or something. 
If you send us an email, we'd be so happy. Also a little bit confused. Probably. Genuinely, I'd be pretty confused if you sent us an email. <laughs> like, if all things to listen to on Spotify, you chose to listen to us. To a bunch of college freshmen talk about simulation theory. I'm not, I'm not even... I'm, I'm researching geology. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even remotely qualified to be discussing the things that we talked about today. And I have, did not do thorough enough research. But, uh, so if you do send us an email, I don't know, we'll probably respond and be very happy. So. Probably. Guaranteed. Anyways, it's been a great episode. It's been an episode. Thank you for listening. Can we hit the outro? Yeah, she was probably already on it. This is Rocket Science is the Columbia Space Station podcast. Produced by Henry Manowski and David Tibbetts. Executive producer, Dylan Anad. Audio is by Michael Wheat. And the two co-hosts on. We're the producers. We're the producers. I was not That's a pretty great outro.